God, help us not to forget your presence as we gather. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. That's Sabbath. Much of the time when someone throws out the word Sabbath, it brings up in us a narrow and archaic idea of a day when you get in trouble for working or getting anything done. Many of us grew up with blue laws that restricted much of Sunday to religious activity only. Plenty of non-religious people always objected to that, but even for many churchgoers, it came as something of a relief when our culture's idea of Sabbath was relaxed a little bit. Suddenly you could get an errand done. After church, you could enjoy a restaurant you liked. Maybe you've never had a typical Monday through Friday work schedule, and so an enforced Sunday Sabbath never made much sense to you. For all kinds of reasons, a relaxing of our culture's way of thinking about Sabbath was welcome. Increasingly, though, I get the feeling that many of us, even people who have nothing to do with church, wish we had not relaxed the rules quite so much. Plenty of people are not thrilled that soccer games and piano recitals are on Sundays without apology, that Sundays have become another day for meetings, a seventh day in the rat race cycle of life that no longer has the pause it once did. For many of us, a day of rest, a time for slowing down and reflecting, seems like a good idea. In some way, we would like our Sabbath back. If anything I've just said strikes a chord with you, you understand what is at stake in the story we heard this morning from the Gospel of Mark. This is a story about people who value their Sabbath and don't want to lose it. Last week, I spent a good portion of the sermon sticking up for a much maligned group of people called the Pharisees. They weren't as bad as we often make them out to be. Pharisees were people who took religion seriously, and usually for the right reasons. They were not religious oppressors who took pleasure in wagging their fingers at sinners and warning people about hell. They were committed religious people. They had found a way of life that worked for them, and they were protective of it. In today's story, they ask the questions they ask about the Sabbath because they do not want a life that has no time for rest and contemplation. If your way of life has no breaks from appointments 
and sports practices and recitals and errands, the Pharisees do not want your life. Here's what happens in the story. One day the disciples are walking with Jesus through a field. It's the Sabbath, and we are told that the disciples stop to pluck heads of grain. No clear Sabbath violation is taking place here, because on a number of points, this story is quite vague. For instance, the disciples might have been gathering grain for sale. If they were working, as we know followers of Jesus often did, they may have been violating a Sabbath law. But if they are gathering leftovers from a field that had already been gleaned, if they were doing so as weary and hungry travelers in need, that behavior was allowed, Sabbath or no. Either one of these things could have been true, the way the story is written. But the Pharisees who are watching adopt an attitude of suspicion. They seem to be hoping to find Jesus in any violation of the law, and Sabbath-breaking will do. They see the disciples picking grain, and they assume the worst. The suspicion continues in the next part of the story where we find Jesus in the synagogue. He is publicly watched as a man with a withered hand approaches him seeking healing. Work is not allowed on the Sabbath and presumably healing would be work. Jesus looks up at his suspicious observers and he asks them a question. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? Now, to be fair to the Pharisees, Jesus' question isn't really to the point. The man with the withered hand is not in a life-and-death situation. He presumably could have waited until after the Sabbath to be healed. But these onlookers are suspicious of Jesus. And that bothers Jesus. We know that because the story continues, Jesus looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And his feeling and his instinct about what's going on is correct. Jesus goes on to heal the man, and the onlookers proceed to build a case against Jesus as a threatening outsider who is destroying their way of life. So we have disciples who are either hungry or in need of work. We have a selfless teacher and healer who wants to help people at any time. And we have a group of religious folk who want to protect their changing way of life. There are important and nuanced questions being asked in this story. It is not simple. Neither is it simple for us. Many of us enjoy the conveniences of Sunday. We appreciate some of the relaxing of those blue laws. We know that not everyone in our culture is Christian. Not everyone is getting up on Sunday to go to church, and we don't judge them for that. 
We also know many folks don't want to work on Sundays, but need to work. That's when they can get the hours. We don't have a problem with that either. And we know the conveniences some of us have come to enjoy about modern Sundays come at a cost to someone else. If you're going to brunch after church today, it's because someone else is working. And still, many of us are looking for some kind of a break time in life. Wouldn't it be nice to have some time that everyone agrees is downtime when nothing will be expected of you? Even for just a few hours, wouldn't it be nice to have that back? Was it worth protecting it more than we did? What's the answer? Perhaps it is possible that without collapsing the Sabbath into a 19th century Christian Sunday, we could find ways to protect rest and renewal and time to remember that we belong to God. Perhaps Sabbath can be found outside of a narrow prescription that has to be the same for everyone. Whether you find your Sabbath at church on Sunday or on a wooded path on Monday or with a good book and a prayer list at a time that moves around from week to week, we all need to find time for rest and renewal and remembering God. Often the way to get there is less about the how and more about the why of Sabbath. And the why comes from thinking about the origins of the Sabbath. It's instructive to go back to the origins of the Sabbath. Many of us know that the Sabbath is a ritual reenactment of the story of creation in Genesis. In six days of work, God creates the world, and on the seventh day, God rests. It's pretty simple. Theologian Karl Barth says it is not so simple, though. It is not just a schedule. There is underlying meaning to it. On the seventh day, the world has been created, and God takes a pause. In the world that has been created, things are going to go awry. There are difficult days ahead in human history. But on that seventh day, God has no regrets, nor is God dwelling on all the work that lies ahead in caring for the future of the world. On the seventh day, God rests. God enjoys what has taken place. I've never been good at that. I'll tell you a bit of a personal story about that. Several years ago, a therapist made a point to me that I will never forget. Listening to me describe the good things in my life, he stopped me for a moment and asked, Adam, when something good happens in your life, it seems like your first reaction is to see the next thing that needs to be done and to immediately start thinking about that. What would it be like 
if you took a moment to just stop. Stop. And really think about the good thing that has taken place and enjoy it. Just let the feeling of something good that has taken place wash over you and really feel what it is like to have experienced something good. It was a powerful moment for me. Our culture sends us so many messages about the next thing to do or accomplish or acquire. We are reminded so often that we are deficient because of something that we don't have yet, and we are preoccupied by those thoughts even though we know there is no happiness there. Creation says that God's intention for us is something different. God's model says when the work is done, enjoy it. Enjoy what has happened before you start to worry again about what lies ahead. Perhaps what is even more interesting than the creation story itself is the way that Sabbath becomes a part of the law in the Bible. It's in the Ten Commandments. Many of you know that. You remember the words, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But did you know that in the context of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath commandment is actually the longest one by far? Here's how it reads. Keep the Sabbath day and treat it as holy exactly as the Lord your God commanded. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Don't do any work on it, not you or your sons or your daughters or your male or female servants, your oxen or donkeys or any of your animals or the immigrant who is living among you, so that your male and female servants can rest just like you. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt. But the Lord God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That's why the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. End quote. The commandments are given to the Hebrew people after they are freed from slavery in Egypt. And that is not a coincidence. So an important reminder is given. Slaves can't take a day off. Free people can. To never stop our working and striving and our need to get ahead is to admit that we are slaves to the possessions or accolades or expectations that drive us to constant working. The decision to allow ourselves Sabbath is not only accepting God's gift of rest and renewal, it is an active declaration that we are not slaves. We are free.
in some ways, today's story is yet another story in this part of the Bible in which Jesus challenges us to be sure that our religion is not getting in the way of our faith. The need for Sabbath is real. The Pharisees believed that, but their definition of what qualifies as Sabbath was perhaps too narrow. So Jesus raises a question that is valuable for us, too. Is our own religious life shaped by love for one another and for God? Or are we mostly concerned with protecting a familiar way of doing things? More specifically, though, today's story is about how are you making time in your life for rest and reflection, renewal and appreciation of the good things God and life has given you? Are you free to do these things? Or are you a slave in a life that has no Sabbath? I've been grateful lately that more and more of you have been taking me up on invitations I've been giving to respond to my sermons in conversation. And I can imagine that my encouragement to take Sabbath for yourself might be received by some of you as naive. I don't know the demands on your life. So I hope you might receive this morning's sermon as another invitation, another conversation. Especially if you find these ideas challenging or you're not sure how you would put them into practice in your own life, come talk to one of us. Jana and I have dramatically different schedules and demands on our lives, and we take our Sabbath in radically different ways. And clearly, we both take Sabbath in ways that are non-traditional. You know that because today is Sunday and we're both working. (laughs) If you're looking for rest and renewal and regular space in your life to remember that you belong to God, we'd love to talk with you about that. We'd love to listen and see if we can help. God's peace and God's presence to you this day.